I'm your health coach, Melissa Lee. Here at Thriving with Nourishment Health, I provide women with the resources to reclaim fertility and celebrate periods through the lens of functional medicine. It is time to empower ourselves with natural solutions over band-aid medicines. We will get to the root cause of symptoms to see the bigger picture. Let us find the ability to heal ourselves, get back to Mother Nature, and live in a healthier world. Hi everyone, say hi to Dr. Shannon Vanderdolen. She's a Toronto, Canada-based licensed naturopathic doctor, wellness speaker, and entrepreneur. She supports people women on their journey to and through motherhood from hormonal health and fertility to pregnancy and postpartum, hence the title of this episode. I connected with Dr. Shannon last month and I'm so excited to have her on the show as I think she has plenty of incredible information to share. So I'm very excited to have you here. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So, um, you know, let's give the audience a sense of who you are. So first, tell us about your background and your journey with fertility, um, having a child, and then also where you're at right now. Yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, my name is Dr. Shannon. I am a naturopathic doctor. I'm based in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Um, professionally, yeah, I have a, a kind of a mostly virtual clinical practice that focuses in fertility, pregnancy, postpartum care for women um, and their partners who are, you know, kind of on that journey with them. Um, and yeah, it's been an interesting journey professionally because it's, um, you know, I'm kind of having a personal experience of this journey as well. So in addition, yeah, to being a naturopathic doctor, I'm also a mom. I have an almost three-year-old who, yeah, keeps me quite busy. My <laughs> journey to getting pregnant with her was pretty straightforward, actually. You know, my, my husband and I got married and we're focused on our careers, kind of that very stereotypical path that some people take. And then at some point kind of along that journey, we were like, okay, we're ready to start trying to get pregnant. However you make that decision, I don't really know, or we're ready to, you know, start trying to have children. Mm -hmm. um, and so in advance of that, knowing what I know and doing what I do in my practice, I, you know, we both were kind of on a preconception healthcare plan. We were, you know, taking the supplements, taking care of ourselves, you know, exercising, eating clean, reducing all alcohol, the things, all the things, <laughs> right. Um, and we did that for about three to four months before we started trying. And then we are the annoying people that we tried right away. Um, and subconsciously at the time, I don't think it was necessarily a conscious thought, but I think at the time I thought, well, of course I got pregnant quickly and easily because I'm healthy and I'm doing all the things. And, um, you know, I understand my cycle and I kind of know all this stuff. So I I kind of dismissed it at the time, or maybe I was just naive at the time. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I was very lucky to have a very healthy pregnancy a very healthy labor and delivery. And ultimately I have a very healthy, had a healthy baby and she's still a healthy child. And, you know, kind of now my experience today really reminds me of just like what a miracle that really is. With right. it sounding it's like too. so smooth, like a smooth sailing journey. For totally. You. Yeah. And like without, yeah, sounding too woo woo or cliche, like really having a healthy child is, is such a gift. It's such a blessing. So, um, you know, fast forward a little bit. I, you know, I, I had a decent time postpartum, certainly struggled with some postpartum anxiety, but, um, you know, I, yeah, we, we made it through that time. It's challenging. Um, and then at some point again, along the road, we, my husband and I were like, maybe we'll start trying for a second. Mm -hmm. And then this like little, you know, COVID-19 pandemic started 
Um, and I think like a lot of people that kind of put a pause on our plans because there was so much uncertainty in the world, right? I mean, and there still is, but um, you know, we didn't really know if that was the right time. But a couple of months later, when I guess we thought this would be over at some point, um, we decided to start trying. So our daughter was probably about 18 months at that time. Um, you know, we tried for our first cycle, we weren't successful. We tried again, weren't successful. The third cycle, we tried more not successful. And I remember feeling very frustrated at this point being like, mm. okay, like what's happening? What's different from last time? And, you know, and nothing's were, changed. Right. I know my okay. cycle, I'm still healthy. I mean, I'm probably more tired now than I was before and maybe a little bit more stressed, but, um, yeah. And then our fourth cycle, we actually did conceive and, you know, I was happy and, there is a long story associated with this, but ultimately that pregnancy ended in a miscarriage, um, which was really hard and challenging to navigate. I think, especially during the pandemic, um, we were kind of in the second wave of the pandemic here in Canada. And that was still kind of like early days of the pandemic when we still really didn't know a lot of what was going on. It was before vaccines, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I had to really navigate most of that mm. challenge with my health on my own. I was in and out of the hospital a lot, um, really had a hard time like connecting with my healthcare team. So that was a really hard thing for me to navigate. And my experience of that certainly has influenced my practice in a big way. And I certainly have a different understanding of what it means to have a pregnancy loss. Um, and then, yeah, fast forward again, you know, we started trying to get pregnant again. We, you know, I physically kind of had felt recovered from the miscarriage and, um, and yeah, you know, then we, didn't have success for a while. We connected with a fertility clinic, um, haven't really been given or weren't, we weren't really given a ton of answers. Um, and yeah, we're kind of, we're kind of still on that journey. So I haven't uh, had success in getting pregnant again, We're we're kind of now looking at exploring IVF as our next step. It's mm -hmm. been about 18 months that we've been trying to get pregnant. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's my kind of personal journey through this <laughs> yeah. and where we sit today. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I feel lucky in a lot of ways that in navigating this journey for myself, I have the knowledge that I have and the background that I have in sort of fertility um, and understanding my cycles. And, um, and that makes it even in some ways more frustrating too, because right. it's like, I feel like um, our struggle is sort of out of our control at this point. And, mm. you know, I know that I'm doing all the things I can to support my health and, um, you know, I'm controlling the things I can control, but yeah. there's still obviously elements of of someone's fertility journey and um, for each individual's health that are out of our control, right? There's genetic influences, there's, um, you know, environmental influences mm -hmm. that we just don't have mm -hmm. control over. Um, and so that's kind of where we sit right now with it. And um, yeah, so it's kind of what I'm navigating. I mean, I think your journey is like so raw and genuine. Um, you know, I'm sorry about like your miscarriage and Thank like, you. I think it's very, like real because you had such like an easy journey and an easy you know first pregnancy and then um you're also kind of struggling now right so like it's like you never know even if someone has like an easy pregnancy like later on like you never know if they are struggling like there's always some sort of struggle but um you might you might not know so I felt like that was I think people could relate or like that was very real for people thank you um, yeah yeah also yeah definitely makes you a great provider because then you know you <laughs> you have like knowledge of you know where patients are at and like especially during the whole pandemic that must have been so stressful too yeah yeah I have such a different appreciation I mean 
you know, I have seen patients going through fertility challenges for years. I've been in yeah. practice for all, you know, seven and a half years at this point. Um, you know, but I think it's one thing to, to under, like to hear someone talk about it and to think that I understand what they're going through and then to actually have experienced mm -hmm, it, mm -hmm. um, really, um, it is a big shift. So, yeah. And I, yeah, I kind of feel like I've had like these little snippets of like all different parts of this journey. Right. And, yeah. Um, you know, I kind of sit in a different place too, with already having a child. Um, cause I think I can resonate more too. Cause I mean, a lot of people struggle with what's called secondary infertility, which is what mm. I'm dealing with. And the kind of definition of that is, you know, struggling to get pregnant with a second child. And I think people in that camp maybe don't receive as much support, not to say primary infertility isn't hard. Of course it is. Um, that's when you're struggling to get pregnant with your first child. But, um, I think people with secondary infertility, it often gets dismissed, right. Of mm. like, well, you already have a child, so you should probably right. be grateful for what you have. Or, um, you know, it's almost like indulgent to be sad that you want a second child or a third child or a fourth child. Right. So it is kind of a unique position where I can empathize with the people who are struggling to get pregnant the first time, but also empathize with my patients who are maybe struggling to conceive the second or third time or, you know, just, yeah, having challenges on that journey because it's not straightforward and not every, yeah, like not every fertility journey looks the same and not every pregnancy mm -hmm. looks the same. Not everyone's postpartum experience looks the same, obviously from like individual to individual, but even within one person. Right. So it's interesting for me to have these two very different experiences so far. Yeah. And, um, when you were talking about primary and secondary infertility, I was thinking like, even the thoughts that come up might be a little different because you know when you're like having secondary infertility I would imagine that you're like I already have a child like why can't I do this right like there's a different take on it rather than be like oh why can't I get pregnant sort of thing it's it's a little different mm -hmm. that I would say so for sure I okay. think the mindset of, of I mean, there's hope a little bit maybe with yeah. having secondary infertility. Like that's what at least I keep holding on to. And what I hear from a lot of other individuals that I work with is mm -hmm. there's a hope of like, my body has, has done this once before, or my body right. knows how to do this. So I have mm -hmm. a bit more trust and faith. And then there's like a little bit of frustration in that too, of like, well, that, but why isn't it happening now? Yeah, or why yeah. isn't it happening again? And, mm -hmm. and there's that fear. Whereas I think, yeah, if you've never been pregnant before, maybe that is more magnified of like, maybe you can't trust your body or you, you have a fear that maybe this is never going to happen for you. Um, so certainly, yeah, I think the mindset pieces of both of these experiences, there's obviously similarities, but there are going to be some unique differences mm -hmm. too. Um, yeah. And it's never, I never like want to like put them head to head and compete yeah. which one's harder. I think they're, right. you know, it's I actually just posted about this on Instagram today. It's like, it's kind of all hard, like mm -hmm. regardless of how you get there and whether you have one kid or five kids or, you know, whether you adopt or you have IVF or, you know, get pregnant naturally and easily. I mean, there's elements of all of that that's challenging. And um, I think just acknowledging that it's hard. And, you know, when we compare ourselves to others um, or compare our situation to a different situation, I mean, it, I think it kind of just minimizes our experience and we maybe don't get the support and validation that we deserve. So I have a related question here. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we were talking about like struggling to get pregnant, you know, there's a lot of stress and loneliness. Um, what is your take on like the stigma of like taking a long time to conceive? I feel like when people are kind of expecting you to conceive or like, oh, you're trying now, right? But then like, some time goes by and 
people don't say it but you know they might be wondering like oh or like you you yourself might be start start to wonder that um what is your take on that yeah it's such a good question and I think it's complex obviously I mean I think there is just these this maybe uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like generational expectation that, you know, it's yeah, just, I think so. it is yeah. um, natural and makes you like more of a woman and a better mother or a better wife or a better partner. Like if you conceive easily, and maybe that sounds like really old school to say out loud, but I think that's, you know, our generation, I think are some of the first to really talk openly about infertility and pregnancy loss and the Mm -hmm. struggles of postpartum, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's kind of shocking to think about how we have to talk about postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety, because it's such a like universal thing. And so many people struggle in it, but like mostly it's been in silence. So I think our generation is like breaking some of the stigma down. Um, But I think it, you know, that probably not directly, but maybe indirectly, this is what we were taught, like our, from our parents' generation and their generation. So I think there's an intergenerational yeah, stigma associated with this, that it's something must be wrong with you. Right. If it takes you a long mm-hmm. time to get pregnant. Um, and as a couple, I think a lot of that is also uh, that blame. I'm using air quotes, even though you guys can't see that. Um, a lot of the blame is placed on the female partner in a relationship. So if we're thinking about like a, a you know, a heteronormative couple trying to conceive, mm-hmm. um, if it's taking them a while, we assume it's, oh, it must be something must be wrong with her. But statistically speaking, actually, you know, it could be, it's pretty well 50-50, about 30% of the time, um, it's like female factor infertility, but 30% of the time it's male factor infertility. And then the other, you know, 30-ish percent of the time is um, either mixed. So it's, you know, related to kind of to both partners or something we call idiopathic, which in medicine basically just means we don't know um, or unexplained infertility, right? So it's wrong to assume it's always the female partners, again, air quotes, false, quote unquote, false. Um, that a couple is struggling to conceive. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, I just think it's maybe we feel, you know, sometimes I, to backtrack, like sometimes I think about, like you, all, you almost become a mother or I, I sometimes think you become a mother the moment you want to start trying to get pregnant, right? So like all those little things that you start to do to take care of your mm-hmm. health and, um, you know, kind of make, I think make you a mother. And when you're trying to conceive and it's taking a while, I think sometimes we think like, oh, that, you know, like something, yeah, something must be wrong with me. And maybe that I'm not a good mother. Maybe I, sh- I don't deserve to be a mother. Maybe there's a reason this is happening. Right. And I think that, yeah, fuels that stigma, um, especially when in, when we talk about like fertility support and, you know, I see this stuff on the internet all the time because it's kind of my world, but a lot of people talking about like diet and lifestyle and things you can do to improve your fertility as if those are the main reasons why someone might struggle to conceive because like they don't have a healthy diet or they don't have a healthy lifestyle. And that's not necessarily the number one Mm -hmm. cause of infertility, right? There's a lot of other things that can be going on with someone's health. So um, yeah, I feel like I'm talking in circles to answer your question, but I think- (laughs) No, no, I think it's good. Yeah. Yeah. The, I think the stigma comes from that, like, yeah, societal expectations, the fact that we don't talk about it really openly, it's not something that's very commonly discussed. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think when we don't talk about things openly, and there's a silence, it's like a a kind of a default of shame. 
right? Where we feel shame. Right. Um, and other people are kind of uncomfortable to talk about it. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that's certainly been my experience of like, you know, family and friends sort of, you know, knowing that we were pregnant and had a, a loss and know that we're trying to conceive again. I've been yeah, pretty open about sharing about. that. Mm-hmm. I can tell that it, it makes, like, I'm comfortable talking about it, yeah. but I can tell other people aren't, right? And right. so it's, you know, I don't want to make other people feel uncomfortable either, but it's, yeah, it's interesting to navigate those conversations mm-hmm. and all of that, I think just fuels the shame and fuels the stigma. I see. Um, and I feel like as people are opening up, opening up rather and talking about it more, it like breaks down those barriers a little bit and, and um, changes that association that we have. Yeah. I think for people who are trying to respond to you, they wouldn't want to like offend you or two or something. Right. Like, I think it's just a little sensitive, but um. Yeah, it's good to know that, you know, if we keep talking about it, perhaps it will be a little more uh, common. Um, okay, so putting that aside, let's say a woman does want to get pregnant and go through this whole thing. Um, let's go through the whole journey of, you know, wanting to conceive, actually succeeding, being pregnant, and then giving birth. So like uh, for preconception care, like what are we looking out for? Um you know, how do we know when we ovulate and what does our cycles do? <laughs> yeah, totally. These are really good questions. And yeah. sometimes I even backtrack to thinking like, you know, when we're little girls or teenagers kind of in school and in health class, we are taught a little bit about our periods and our menstrual cycles and about, you know, getting pregnant. But mm-hmm. the conversation is really limited to don't have sex or you'll get pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> you'll get an STI. Um, yeah the conversation isn't really empowering to say, this is what's happening with your menstrual cycle mm. um, to help us understand. So what I, what I see, I, and what I experience personally too, and what I see with a lot of my patients, you know, is that's the education we're given. So we spend most of our, you know, late teens and early twenties trying not to conceive, right. Trying actively not to get pregnant. And then maybe you're in your like late twenties or your thirties or your forties, and you're finally ready to start trying to get pregnant. And you're like, mm-hmm. well, what, how do I do this? Right. Or, yeah. um, you know, you don't really understand your cycle or things are weird. Uh, a lot of us are put on the birth control pill or other methods of hormonal contraception again in our teens or in our twenties, essentially for like any hormone concern, right? You have painful periods. Here's the birth control pill. You have okay. irregular periods. Here's the mm-hmm. birth control. Acne, yes, for sure. Like all of these things, right? Heavy periods. And I think obviously there's a time and place for those tools. I'm certainly not anti-birth control pill or any of those hormonal contraceptions. Um, you know, I took it myself for many, many years. Um, but I think, yeah, it's what it does is a disservice to us as women is it kind of it, those things like mask our symptoms. They mask our cycle. I sometimes describe it like it overrides our menstrual cycle. So what we're seeing when we're on these hormonal methods of contraception is not what's really happening. So when, yeah, when I kind of think about preconception care, so preconception really refers to the, you know, the period of time prior to someone getting pregnant. Um, you know, what, how I work with people is, yeah, kind of multi, multi-fold. So in that period of time, you know, I'm often talking to people about understanding their menstrual cycle. So if they've been on some form of birth control, it's like getting off of that, tracking your cycles, um, understanding when you're ovulating, understanding if there's signs or symptoms with your cycle that act as, I'm going to say like yellow flags or red flags, that means something Mm -hmm. else is going on. So for example, if you have really irregular menstrual cycles, and what I mean by that is if the length of time of your cycle um, is very inconsistent month to month, or your cycles are very long. So let's say, you know, you get a period every 45 days or every 60 days, 
that's a sign or a signal that maybe there's something going on with your cycles that needs to be further investigated, right? So that's a you know very classic symptom of PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome, for example. Um, so when we when we can see our real cycles, our kind of unmedicated cycles, we can really start to learn about what is going on. You know, we typically ovulate once per cycle, um, and and that's a, like a really essential first part of getting pregnant. If you're not actually releasing an egg or ovulating every mm. cycle, you, you know, you cannot get pregnant. Um, yeah. And so understanding, you know, I mean, we can talk about this more in detail if we want, but understanding when in your cycle that's happening is really key. Um, you know, in that kind of preconception phase, I'm also talking to people about their nutrition and lifestyle. And again, not blaming those as the sole factors that prevent someone from getting pregnant, but knowing that optimizing our diet and nutrition and our lifestyle habits can certainly improve our chances of getting pregnant and having a healthy pregnancy, um, per, you know, reducing the risk of certain pregnancy um, complications as an example. Uh, I often encourage people to have a checkup with their doctor. Um, so that can look like a lot of things, but you know, essentially just having some you know, standard basic blood work and testing done to make sure that you you know, are not anemic, that you don't have high cholesterol, that your blood sugar uh, looks good, your blood pressure is looking good. Um, you know, that you're, you don't have any STIs, your vaccinations are up to date, all of those things, um, just to kind of have a double check on your overall health, you know, right. checking if you're on any medications or supplements that those are safe for you to be continuing to take when you're trying to conceive. So yeah, kind of really just like getting your body ready for the ultimate time when you are going to start trying to get pregnant. So I kind of look at that as a minimum window of like three months. I think that's a really good opportunity to sort of take control of your health, you know, maybe start taking a prenatal vitamin as an example, or any other supplements that are necessary for you mm -hmm. having success in conceiving. Um, and then, yeah, you can kind of hit the ground running when you are ready to actually start trying, knowing, you know, that you have a good grasp on your cycle and that you're already doing all the things to support your health. And I use that like three month window as sort of uh, a period of time. Cause we know it takes about three months for an egg to mature. Mm -hmm. in our body. So our eggs are kind of exposed to everything that we're exposed to for, for the previous three months before we ovulate. And for men, uh, it's kind of the same thing, but a, a sperm cell takes about three months to mature as well. So um, this isn't just for the female partner. I really encourage this for the male partner as well. Um, and then, yeah, trying to conceive can, you know, sometimes take one cycle um, or not a lot of time at all. And for other people, it can take longer. Um, you know, on average, about 50% of couples who are trying to conceive will have success within six months of getting pregnant. Um, and by the one year mark, about 85% of couples will mm. have success in getting pregnant. Those are Canadian statistics. I actually think it might be a bit higher in the United States. Um, infertility yeah. for some reason is like a little less common there <laughs> or reportedly less common. Um, I think it's one in one in eight couples versus one in six couples in Canada. Um, but that may, that may be changing all the time. Um, and yeah, so and like, for, kind of like for, uh, you know, like lab testing, like, um, when you brought that up, the whole like annual checkup thing, um, I think obviously it should be also for your partner. And like, when do you Definitely. feel like a sperm analysis test would be like ideal, like in the beginning or like when they actually have trouble? Totally. Yeah. And this might speak to, um, I, we talked about this a little bit kind of before we yeah. recorded this health, uh, this call, but like the differences sort of in health, the healthcare system in the United States right. and Canada. Mm -hmm. So my viewpoint might be coming a little bit from like that Canadian viewpoint. So in Canada, up, up here in the North, we have um, <laughs> public healthcare, right? Government funded healthcare. 
Yeah. And so how that works from a fertility standpoint is um, people who are under the age of 35 mm-hmm. or women, I should say, who are under the age of 35, they're kind of told like you aren't eligible to have a fertility assessment until you've been trying to get pregnant for one year. So when I talk about those statistics that 85% of couples are pregnant within one year, mm-hmm. the government is really just looking, I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not anti-government, but like is looking to save healthcare dollars, right? If we do a fertility assessment for 100% of people at the very beginning, yeah, sure, you're going to identify people that are going to have challenges or you're going to identify some issues early on for that 15% of people, mm-hmm. but that's very costly to the government and to the healthcare system, right? So I think what we're doing is kind of look, playing a statistics game and saying, well, if 85% of couples are going to be pregnant within one year, let's just wait till the one-year mark and then we only have to test 15% and support 15% of couples. So that's obviously a cost savings measure. So that's a, maybe a good public health tool, but that's certainly not a good individual health tool. So for, yeah, for both female and male partners, I, you know, in my practice, I tell people it's never too early to do a fertility assessment. Um, Mm. I run, you know, fertility tests for my patients and their partners all the time. And I sometimes will do that before they've had any issues, right? Some people want to be very proactive and like do an assessment before they start trying to conceive to understand if they're going to have trouble. I also will see people maybe who've been trying to conceive for like three months or six months, and they're just starting to feel a little frustrated and want to identify if there's anything going on. So, you know, in those situations in Canada, people won't have access to publicly funded or more conventional healthcare system testing until they meet those other criteria, but there are other ways to access those tests. So to kind of answer your question, when would I suggest someone have fertility assessment? I would say you know, I think the earlier, the better, because if we've identified, if we, if we can identify that there's a problem earlier, that saves you mm-hmm. time and heartache and stress and yeah, all of those things down the you know, earlier yeah. on, right. As opposed right. to saying like, let's wait until you're, you've been trying to get pregnant for a year. Just as a side note, that like window of time is a little bit shorter if, if you're over the age of 35. So 35 is like magical cutoff number. So if you're over the age of 35, we only let you try for six months before you would have additional testing or investigations done. So um, again, if someone's over the age of 35, I might be suggesting they do some assessment earlier rather than, than later. And again, it might depend on their symptoms, right? If someone has a very healthy sounding menstrual cycle, if they are a very healthy individual, then I might not have a lot of strong indication to do testing sooner. But if mm-hmm. someone has symptoms with their cycles or they have some health history stuff that's or family history that you know makes me think that they might have some trouble, then I'll often advocate for that testing done sooner. Um, so yeah, I never I think it's never too early to have a fertility assessment for female mm-hmm. or male partners. And again, it's just the context I think in Canada of who's paying for it and whether it's going to be, whether you're waiting for have, you know having this testing covered by the government or whether you're going to be paying for it out of pocket or through insurance prior to that prior to that time. Okay. That that sounds very logical. Yes. <laughs> to do that. Yeah. Okay, so like um you know before moving on do you have any other words about like preconception care? I think I might have interrupted you back there. That's okay. Yeah. I, I um yeah, I just think it's in general something that sometimes people sort of wait until they're like, okay, I want to start trying to get pregnant now. And then they think about their health. And so I, you know, I think it's just about raising awareness to say, you know, it's maybe important to start thinking about these things prior to when you're actually going to start trying because there can be implications. And certainly there's lots of people who get pregnant without trying and they have healthy pregnancies and healthy babies. So it doesn't, Mm -hmm. it's not like a threatening thing. Like if you don't do your three months of preconception care, you're not going to get pregnant or you're going to have an unhealthy pregnancy. That's certainly not what I'm saying, but I think 
yeah, I really view things through the lens of like optimization and being proactive. And I think if we can do that, then we, we give ourselves that three month. Um, yeah. You just stand a better chance that I think way. So. Yeah, absolutely. When, um, you know, someone's like pregnant, yay. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> what are the needs of her during the pregnancy and also you know especially if she has PCOS are there any things that we should look out for absolutely yeah so again I kind of think about um yeah like kind of meeting the the basics and essentials and sort of bare minimums right so obviously she's going to need like certain nutrients to help support the growth of her baby so very commonly we talk about folate um so this is really important in early pregnancy which again speaks to why preconception care is important to be taking folate in advance of being pregnant um, Mm. because you really need folate very early on sometimes before you even know you're pregnant. Um, We have lots of other nutrient needs in pregnancy as well. You know, we have increased requirements for iron, for vitamin D, for magnesium and calcium, um, you know, our essential fatty acids or omega-3 fatty acids. So there's lots of increased requirements from a nutrient standpoint. And again, this is where like good quality supplementation is helpful. Our bodies are really smart that if the baby needs something and it, we don't have enough kind of in circulation, our body mm-hmm. will find it. Right. So women will actually like become, you know, their, their bones will start uh, decalcifying to put calcium in the blood to send to the baby. Right. Or women will become anemic. Right. We, we will right. draw Just from, from the iron stores exactly to give to the baby. So your baby's usually okay, but that often will leave the mother deficient. And that obviously doesn't feel good for her. Like you know, she's going to be more tired and exhausted and maybe more symptomatic. Another example is like calcium, often a sign of low calcium or low magnesium is like the mom will experience muscle cramps and muscle um, tension. And it's because, yeah, the, the mom is like stealing her own calcium and magnesium to send to the baby so that the baby can build its bone supply. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have these symptoms associated with it. So there's a kind of, yeah, like an understanding of sort of how these nutrients are, are needed throughout a pregnancy. Um, yeah, to, to help her feel well for both the short term, like while she's pregnant, but also long term, right? Like you can't, if you become osteopenic or you're losing your bone density in pregnancy, that has ramifications for the rest of your life too. Um, and I also think about, and there's lots of studies that show that, you know, when women have adequate iron status or vitamin D status or omega-3 status while they're pregnant, they're also at a reduced risk of developing postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety. So I really think about fueling and nourishing a mother throughout her whole pregnancy, understanding that she's going to have increased needs and requirements that aren't always easily met through diet and nutrition either, right? Um, Due to a variety of reasons, certainly like our food um, is often like less dense in these nutrients than it used to be, but certainly, Mm -hmm. you know, a mother's um, symptoms in early pregnancy, like being nauseous or having vomiting are also going to change her appetite and her food choices and food aversions, right? So really being strategic with using supplements, um, you know, where indicated, I think can be really helpful for a mom. PCOS specifically um, also comes with it some increased risks in pregnancy. So having PCOS prior to pregnancy, sometimes people get pregnant and they're like, oh, I feel better because like your PCOS symptoms are managed, right? You're not Mm -hmm. having regular cycles. Maybe your acne is improved or hair growth reduces that type of thing. So it feels like a break, but essentially that kind of the underlying hormonal and um, insulin, like kind of ramifications with PCOS do still translate into pregnancy and and hold some risks. So, you know, people with PCOS do have an increased risk of miscarriage or pregnancy loss. They have an increased risk of developing 
gestational diabetes, which is diabetes in pregnancy, they have an increased risk of um, preterm birth, meaning the baby is born, you know, kind of before its due date, sometimes earlier than we would like. It's not fully, you know, kind of fully cooked, so to speak, before the baby's born. Right. Um, increased risk of something called preeclampsia, which is elevated blood pressure in pregnancy, which again has complications for the baby and for the mom. You know, increased risk of severe cesarean delivery. So there's lots of um, things that PCOS kind of bring with it. And that certainly doesn't mean that every woman with PCOS is going to have these complications in pregnancy. And just like, you don't have to have PCOS to develop right, those complications. Have, yeah. They can happen for other reasons as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we know you have PCOS prior to pregnancy, again, a lot of the focus in PCOS is getting pregnant. And then sometimes a ball is dropped when she's actually pregnant of thinking about how she might still need support. Um, and so again, that's kind of where I work with patients on nutrition and lifestyle and supplementation to help again, mitigate those risks as much as we can. Um, sometimes there is just a genetic component or a physiological response. Sometimes I describe it to being pregnant, right? Our body changes, um, and in response to those pregnancy hormones and no amount of, you know, diet or lifestyle change Mm -hmm. or intervention is going to change that. But I think we can kind of dial it down a little bit by taking care of some of those factors. I love it. That was so great. When you were talking about, um, you know, nutrition and folate and all that, um, it just brought to mind. I had Lily Nicole from the podcast, I think a few episodes ago, and she, you know, she's like writing all about like real foods for pregnancy. And I thought that was, that was a really, really great book because I refer a lot of my patients with gestational Uh, diabetes to her her book. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She mentioned like choline too, and other like micronutrients that I I think we don't talk about. So if anyone's listening, like, I think they should totally check that out. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So we've gone through sort of like what to do when you're pregnant. So um, what happens to, you know, after childbirth, like what does a woman need postpartum? I feel like that part doesn't really get talked about as much. Even you're on, like, totally media. right. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, they're... you're giving birth, bye. Like, yes. you're good now. Yes, yeah. totally. And like, even in pregnancy, um, the conversation is like, oh, have you prepared your nursery? Did you buy a stroller? Do you have a car seat? <laughs> like we right. have, we prepare for all the things we need for our baby. And we often neglect what we're, we are going to need as mothers, right. To recover. Um, and it's, yeah, this is such a challenging time for a lot of people. I think to your point, like social media has also like glamorized what it means to be a new mom, right. Where, you know, rightfully so people want to share their new baby, but like people are often sharing like the perfect curated Mm. moments of new motherhood and obviously are not taking photos of like their boobs leaking breast milk and the baby spitting up all over them or like the moments at four in the morning when the baby won't go back to sleep. Right. So I think there's this get glamorized view of motherhood and, um, it can make that part feel harder. I know when I was a new mom, I felt a lot of like, I must not be doing this right. Or like, Mm. I'm not, I don't have the, I don't even, I can't even capture these happy moments because like, I'm just kind of in it, right. It's trying to survive. I don't, I don't even feel like I'm thriving in this, in this phase. Right. So, um, what does a new mother need? She needs so much. She needs so much support. Um, you know, certainly, yeah. Kind of thinking about like, she's just been pregnant for a long time, many months and like nutritionally. And again, kind of thinking physiologically is depleted, right. Her body has been prioritizing sending everything to this baby to help it grow. So that's going to leave her body really depleted and deficient. Regardless of how she gave birth, 
whether it's like, you know, she had a long labor and a vaginal delivery, if it was a planned C-section, whatever kind of manifested there, like she would have, that would have been a hard process. Like, I think regardless of how you deliver your baby, it's hard. A cesarean birth, as an example, is like a major abdominal surgery that she is, you know, expected to go home from 48 hours later and take care of another human being after she's had a major surgery. So um, I think, yeah, a new mom needs a lot of support. Um, You know, I actually, I was talking to my best friend last night and she was talking about like, I need to take care of my babies. So I need someone else to take care of me. Right. And like my, she actually has twins. So Uh that's why I said babies, there's two of them. (laughs) Um, And so, uh, you know, other people need to take care of her um, because it's easy as a mom to like not prioritize that and not take care of yourself. I mean, practical things that I often talk to my patients about, we usually have this conversation while they're still pregnant. And then we have it again after they've delivered their baby. Um, But things like continuing to take your supplements that you were taking while you were pregnant, right? So I, I have people continue to take their prenatal vitamins and vitamin D and their omega-3 fatty acids or their iron supplements. Again, just keeping them fueled and replenished. Um, if that woman is choosing to breastfeed um, or pump breast milk, you know, again, it's kind of like your body shifts. And now instead of sending your nutrition to your baby in your belly, it's now sending nutrition to breast milk. So you're still kind of depleted um, and prioritizing the baby, which is cool evolutionary perspective, but can be hard on the mom, um, you know, trying to eat and feel your body and nourish yourself with food. So, you know, I'm talking to a lot of people about like easy meals, you know, um, things that are easy to eat with one hand when you're holding a baby or nursing, um, you know, so much to think about there, even just, oh my that, gosh, like, yeah, like that's a huge thing, mm-hmm. you know, like eating protein, getting healthy fats, having fruits and vegetables, like it's, those seem so basic that it's almost easy to ignore them. Right. But it's, I mean, it's so common. I talk to new moms all the time and they're like, I, you know, I went eight hours today and I didn't eat because I was just doing all these other things. Right. And that's maybe not a problem once, you know, if she doesn't eat once for eight hours, okay, fine. We can like move past that. But if that's a consistent, regular thing, I mean, she's going to have blood sugar instability issues. She's going to be more exhausted and tired. She might be feeling more anxious or more depressed as a result of just not having enough nutrition and calories to support her. Um, you know, trying to prioritize sleep, which I know is also like really hard when you have a newborn baby or really any age child, my three-year-old, near, I feel like almost it's almost three-year-old expected, is, right. Yeah. is still struggling with no sleep. sleep. So mm-hmm. trying to prioritize your sleep as much as possible. Um, you know, there's a lot of this like kind of conversation about like, again, using air quotes, quote unquote, bouncing back or getting back to your like old body postpartum. And I think that's all like, again, kind of our generation is dismantling that of saying like that, that should not be your priority. Uh, your priority should be like recovery and rest. It took you nine months to grow this baby. It's not realistic that within nine months or even a year that you're going to be back to your pre-baby, you know, physical state. Right. I think that's really challenging, but again, kind of part of this like association with being a good mom and, and being a good woman is like, you're able to bounce back. I know that for me, I, I, I actually lost a lot of my pregnancy weight very quickly after delivering, like without doing anything. Right. It's not like I, I, it just came, like, I just, I delivered the baby and most of that came, what came with her. Right. Um, and I got so applauded. Like people were just like, you look fantastic. You can already like, you look just like you looked before you were pregnant. And I was like, thanks, but why are you, um, right. cheering so, me on like for that? Focus. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that was just like an accidental thing that happened. <laughs> um, 
or some of my weight loss in my pregnancy or my postpartum journey was also like, I was anxious. So I didn't have an appetite. It wasn't like wanted weight loss, you know? So, um, I think, yeah, there's this like cultural and societal, societal expectation of like what a mother should be. And when we don't meet those standards that society has set for us or what that we have set for ourselves, maybe, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, they're unrealistic expectations. Then we yeah. just feel like we're falling short. Um, you know what so, I yeah. think it is? I think it's also like in the modern times now, every couple feels like they have to do everything themselves. And like back mm-hmm. then it was a lot of tribe, right? And like, yes, it takes a village. step in and all that. Um, and you know, like, so I'm from Singapore and in Asia it's very, it's like almost like an obligation to have like a confinement period. And right. you know, someone comes in, actually cooks for you for the mom while the mom takes care of the baby. So I feel like that is like so incredible because you just have someone feeding you all these herbs and nourishing stuff. Yes. Oh my gosh. And that's like, so incredible. You're right. But that's like a North American thing that is mm-hmm. does not exist western, I think. yeah 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 the western society does not honor those traditions you're right it's very common in a lot of different asian traditions i think to have this um it's called all sorts of things like the sitting in period i think or yeah you know sometimes i even <laughs> i use the term the fourth trimester as well i don't know mm-hmm. if you've heard that that term i think i've, I've heard that before yeah yeah where it's like okay we have our first trimester second trimester third trimester of pregnancy and and thinking of those first three months postpartum especially our fourth trimester like it's still, there's still this like very um, important, that's still a very important phase that the mother still needs to be taken care of, right? So like everyone focuses on you while you're pregnant. How are you mm-hmm. feeling? How are you doing? Like, let me open the door for you. Like showering you with gifts and all of those things. And then as soon as the baby's born, the focus mostly is then off the mother, at least again, kind of thinking about yeah, more traditional like Western societies. Yeah. And then it's like, you know, even when people come over maybe to visit you, maybe they bring a meal, which is lovely, but they're like, I want to hold the baby or I want to see the baby or they're bringing gifts for the baby. And it's like, you know, and I used to do that too, <laughs> but I, I, you know, when you're, when you're in that phase, it's like, what you really need is someone just to take care of you and like right. feed you a meal and yeah, maybe like hold your baby well so that you can go take a shower or sleep or mm-hmm. give like, you do a foot massage <laughs> yeah yeah take yeah take care of you right mm-hmm. um and so yeah I think our yeah it's just a, it's very interesting these societal things and some I think of those traditions in other cultures are weaving their way back into um you know western western society so to speak and and I mean that, and then that's opens up a whole conversation. And I haven't been following everything about even just like having parental leave, being able to like have time off work and not worry about those types of things. And again, that's like a whole can of of worms. <laughs> Maybe we don't want to get into, but um, you know, yeah. is it realistic that a woman can go back to work within like three months or even longer of of having a baby? Like, probably not. She's still recovering and healing and her baby still I mean, needs her and she still a, needs her baby. It's an actual human being coming out yes. of someone's body. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, you know, like, so you said that you kind of help women through this entire journey that we talked about, including postpartum. Um, I know you mentioned that you have a course called Fertility Foundations. Mm-hmm. Um, so does this course address all of it? Um, you know, what else is included? Like if someone's interested in working with you, um, 
where can they find out more? Yeah, yeah. So yes, I do work with women kind of on all parts of this journey. I personally, uh, selfishly, like find it very fulfilling when I work with a woman to help support her in getting pregnant and having a healthy pregnancy and then supporting her in postpartum. And as she adjusts to new motherhood, it's like very fulfilling work for me. I really get a lot of joy out of it. It's like very, um, you know, I love when people are like, I'm pregnant, like sharing their pregnancy news with me. Like it's almost as exciting as if I were pregnant. <laughs> it's, um, you know, when I had a patient this week who like passed her gestational diabetes screening, for example, and like, you know, we had done a lot of work together to support her. And like, it was really like, I was so happy to get that news. Right. So I really feel um, like very privileged to kind of walk with women through this whole journey. My um, yes, my one-on-one practice is limited to people who are in Ontario in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, so unfortunately I can't work with people out of my jurisdiction, but that's where my, yeah, my, my program is a really great resource for people because that's available to anyone internationally to access. So fertility foundations is a yeah, an online kind of do-it-yourself program with different modules. And it does walk you through kind of all of that preconception and trying to get pregnant um, phase of the journey. So there's different modules. Um, We talk a lot about understanding your menstrual cycle and tracking ovulation and really helping you to feel empowered about understanding if there is any concerns with your cycles that might make it harder for you to get pregnant and then having the language that you can speak to your healthcare provider about it to get further testing and investigation. We talk a lot about like what a fertility supporting diet looks like. And as like a kind of side note, you know, it's not really restrictive and like you can't eat any of the foods, right? We're really talking again, kind of through the lens of like fueling and nourishing your body, making sure your body has everything it needs um, to support you in getting pregnant. We know that we need like, we need carbs in our diet. We need fat in our diet for us to actually be able to get pregnant. So, you know, these foods are not bad these kind of trendy diets, like the ketogenic diet, for example, tend to actually not be very good for our fertility, right? So, Mm. um, you know, kind of debunking some of those fertility and diet myths and really going through what that looks like. Uh, Same with lifestyle. So again, talking about things like alcohol and caffeine and drug use and exercise and really understanding, again, where the research lies and what the research suggests um, that people need to know or how people should be acting when they're trying to conceive with respect to those things. Um, and then we also talk a lot about like fertility assessment and what that looks like. So what all the testing, um, you know, is that you could have done again, how to speak with your healthcare provider to advocate yourself to have that testing done, um, Mm. to help you understand. Yeah. Like if I have a certain, you know, we'll use the PCOS example again, like if you have risk factors or symptoms that make you think you might have PCOS, what are the specific tests you want to be asking your doctor for, um, to run for you, to help you identify if that's a you know, a, a factor for you. Yeah. Um, and then there's a couple, there's a couple bonus modules. So one is actually about male health and sperm health. So kind of running through all of those things for your male partner. So helping him understand sort of sperm development and, um, how to make, like how, you know, a, a man makes sperm cells, what diet and lifestyle should look like for him. And then understanding what a fertility assessment can look like and, you know, why you might want to be pushing for a fertility assessment earlier. And then the second bonus module is actually what to do once you get your positive pregnancy test. So we do talk a little bit in there about those kind of first stages of pregnancy. Sometimes, you know, depending on how long it's taken someone to get pregnant, they're just like so focused on trying to conceive for so long that once the test is positive, they're like, oh my gosh, now what do I, (laughs) now what do I do? Right. So walking you through that, helping you navigate kind of the first trimester, which is generally the most symptomatic uh, trimester of pregnancy where often people are not feeling great. So helping to understand why that is happening and how you can support yourself to feel better. Uh, so yeah, that's, 
that's what the program looks like. I mean, I'm definitely in the process of building a couple other programs for more pregnancy support and postpartum support. So those are on the horizon. That's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, if people want to learn more about those programs, certainly they can visit my website. I'm sure you'll link these in the show notes yeah. too, but um, the program you can find at Shannon ND. So it's at our naturopathic doctor. So S H A N N O N N D dot C A slash foundation. And then I also have a free download that people could access. Um, it's about how to track your ovulation. So that's also a really good resource for anyone who's yeah, either thinking about trying to get pregnant or maybe they've started trying and they're like really feeling a bit confused about all the potential tools you can use to track your ovulation. So it's a quick guide um, just to help you understand how that all works. So that's shannonnd.ca slash ovulation guide. I'm pretty active on Instagram. So if anyone wants to follow me on the gram, I would love to. I'm trying to always share yeah, kind of educational insights about fertility and pregnancy and postpartum on there. And I share a lot about just my personal journey as well. Well, I think this was an incredible conversation. It was so fun. Um, I love talking about, you know, all the different aspects of the journey and especially the postpartum part that was really cool and interesting. Um, Your course sounds amazing. I hope, you know, people would resonate with it and, you know, kind of jump on board. I think it's very useful and informational. Um, Thank you so much for your time. It was so nice to have you on. Thank you for having me. I had such a great time chatting with you too.